Kia ora koutou and welcome to Tahuhu Korero, a podcast and blog that shares the history work of students and staff at the University of Auckland and the aim of improving the accessibility and inclusivity of the study of history. and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Michaela Selway and for those who might be tuning in for the first time since last year, I am a master's student at the University of Auckland. Got about three weeks until handing in so can't say that for much longer but for the time being I'm a master's student here at the University of Auckland. Today on the podcast we are interviewing Branko Matatich. He used to be a student here at the University of Auckland and he's gone on to do many things with his history degree. I think he did a history degree. So many things with a history degree. So if you're currently one of these people like myself who's being asked constantly that they're probably going to be a teacher because that's apparently all you can do with a history degree. Hopefully this interview will help and give you a couple of ideas of, of what else you can do with a history degree. So thank you so much for coming and, and joining us. Could you possibly tell us a bit about yourself and maybe your education, where you grew up, what you do? Yeah, just an overview, I guess. Yeah, sure, sure. And thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> I, I'm originally from former Yugoslavia, Serbia specifically. Moved to New Zealand when I was about six years old or so. I grew up in Auckland, in I believe we were just discussing yeah. uh, before the show. The, How uh, it goes. Yeah. <laughs> East Auckland. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, uh, yeah you, you know a lot about that place. It's a lovely place. I... I went to uni here for many years. I did a Bachelor of Arts, did honours in history, and then I did a master's in history. Mm-hmm. And then I, off that master's, uh, I uh, did this kind of visa program that uh, New Zealand does with the US, where you can go live in the US and work in the US for a year after graduating, as long as you apply within a year of graduating. And I, I believe that's any any level, whether it's master's, honours, arts. I'm not sure if you can do it multiple times, maybe. Something for people at home to look up. Yeah. And I went and lived in, in, in the US for a year. I was in Chicago. I chose that place for a couple of reasons. One was I I had a friend that lived there already. Mm. Um, and Yeah. Uh, who I'd met through a job actually here in Auckland. And so I, you know, I, I wanted to hang out with them and, mm. and spend some time with them. And there was a magazine that did an internship. Uh, I wanted to get into journalism after after finishing my masters, and so I applied for an internship at this place. Mm. Got it. I ended up staying in Chicago longer than the three months I, I initially planned, and I was there for maybe mm, I think maybe nine months. And wow. then, yeah, and then. I did another internship because this may, may be a shock to people, but <laughs> companies in the US are not that willing to hire someone who has to leave the country. Yeah, no, understandable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and uh, getting a visa to the US uh, is is insanely difficult and yeah. expensive and complicated, uh, including for even even the most well resourced uh, yeah. companies. Although there, it is possible. And I did another internship, and then I, I came home, and then I was here for a little while longer, you know, writing for New Zealand and, and US outlets. I became a staff writer for a magazine called Jacobin Magazine, which is a, a left-wing magazine that is based in several different cities in the U.S. Chicago is one, New York is another. There's actually, there is a, I wouldn't say branch, but there are employees in Toronto, Canada, uh, mm-hmm. which is where I'm living at the moment, um, or I should say Toronto. <laughs> get, get that right. Job the last T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to I sound like I'm, I'm a real, real yeah. uh, native, a real Torontonian. <laughs> 
and yeah, so that's why I, at the moment I, I'm sort of doing several jobs. I, I work for Jacobin and I, I work for Anise Times, which was the magazine that I originally was a uh, intern for. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a fellow for them. And, mm. uh, they've tasked me with writing about the uh, US election, mm. which is kind of what my book is about. Mm. Well, no, not even kind of. It, it really is what, what my book is about. Uh, so that's sort of a, a I guess, a, a short mm. history. <laughs> Good way of putting it. <laughs> so a couple of questions around mm. that is I, probably the biggest one is how did you get from history to journalism? Because I, I guess mm. most people study communications or journalism or whatever. How did, mm. did you find any difficulty trying to make that transition or were the people who employed you pretty happy with the fact that I guess you knew how to write and you could write? History is quite good at training, I think, in terms of that. Mm. Was that quite an easy transition or...? Yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, I think, yeah, you learn a lot of skills in, in history mm. that are applicable and actually really helpful, I think, to journalism. Actually, I think a lot of journalists could benefit from, you know, some, not just a knowledge of history, but also just the, the, the approach that we yeah. take in, in history and, and how we, we look at something and, and how we treat something. In, in some ways, you know, there's, there's certain things, obviously it's not the exact same thing. There's, there's I think, if you go into journalism, you have to be aware of some of the, the ethical issues. Okay, so how do you how do you treat a source? You know, how did, what can you write down from what someone tells you? You know, what what the idea of like being on the record and off the record mm. or on background, all these kinds of things. So there are certain technical things that you will only, oh, well, not only know, but that you would learn from a journalism degree. And I, I don't discourage anyone from doing a journalism degree, mm. but I think in my case, it, it does show that you do not necessarily have to have a journalism degree to get into journalism. Mm. And I think I, I learned actually a lot of the stuff that I am doing now, not just from the history degree, but from just being an intern. And, and I mean, the magazine that I interned for in these times was really good at, at, at really getting its interns to do, you know, not, not sort of the stereotypical <laughs> intern <order>. rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They really had it, you know, they had us fact-checking. Uh, right. They had us, uh, which sometimes involved calling up interviewees and checking with them that statements they had said were, mm. were correct. Uh, it involved a lot of research as well. Proofreading, there were, we, we did things like discussions about you know, coming up with um, with ideas for headlines and news mm. stories and, and evaluating pitches. So a lot of different things. And that was actually really helpful for getting a, an inside look at how a magazine is put together, mm. but also how, I guess, the, the, the kind of how the sausage is made. If yeah. Famous, you know? And yeah, I think, I mean, for anyone who wants to get into journalism, if, if they're listening, I think, and people have often asked me this question, you know, how, how do I get into journalism? How do I do what, what you do? Mm. And one of the things is, yes, getting a degree is, is good and important, obviously, but I really uh, would urge people to try and, yeah, intern somewhere. Um, even, if, even if a place doesn't have an official intern, program uh, a lot of places a lot of magazines do because uh, the dirty secret of, of, of today's magazine industry is that we rely on internal yeah. <laughs> uh, often unpaid uh, which is which is not a good thing and that is starting to, to change thankfully mm. but yeah I mean I think even just emailing or or calling up magazines here yeah. and just saying hey uh, I have some free hours or, or you know what have you I, uh, I would love to, to be able to come in and help out and sort of uh, get the lay of the land, learn mm. the ropes and everything. That'll be really, really helpful for a number of reasons. You, you'll you learn some of the hands-on skills, but you'll also uh, make connections. Um, you might get to write for the magazine mm. uh, or, or whatever the outlet is. So, yeah, I think I think that in many ways is, is, you know, like the degree is one part of education, but it's really getting into the into the nitty-gritty that's going to be the, the sort of second part that really finishes it off. Mm. 
Interesting. So fascinating. I hope I've, I don't know if I've your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I guess I just, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's not something that I have ever looked into, mm. I guess, because like we were talking about earlier, my brain does not function with politics. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of journalism is either politics or, mm. I guess, what's happening in society at the time. So I could do that side of it, mm. but the politics is just goes over my head. Well, but you know, we also have magazines here like uh, like New Zealand Geographic that aren't necessarily directly about politics. True. And obliquely they are, but they're sort of more about issues that politics should be about, you know, yeah. uh, taking care of the environment, yeah. technology, you know, all manner of things. Mm. So, yeah, there's, there's, I'm sure there's all sorts of kind of possibilities for people, whatever you're interested in. Uh, yeah. You know, whether it's in New Zealand or, you know, who knows, maybe in Australia or, or UK, US. You know, mm. We're very lucky in New Zealand we can, we can go anywhere. Yeah, apparently we've got one of the best passports to have. It's it's like mm. the fifth or sixth best in the world to oh. have because of access to different countries right, and, right. and stuff like that. So heard yeah. that on the radio. It's pretty yeah. pretty handy thing to know. I guess no one no one hates us that much. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, I everyone mean, likes Jacinda, so yes. that's yeah, given us a good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we we haven't been super involved in the war and terror, or at least like in a very visible way. Mm. I mean, New Zealand New Zealand is we actually are very much tied up in right. what the US and the UK and everything are doing. But we're not quite as visible, and I think we don't have as big a presence, so I think we don't mm. get the blowback that yeah. some of the countries are. Mm. Yeah. So did you study, like, your master's, your honours mm. honors dissertation and master's thesis, was it related to where you ended up in terms of... Mm. Did, uh, your book is about U.S. politics. Yeah. So is that what you studied in your graduate programme? Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say the book is definitely related and builds on the stuff I did for my master's. So, so to, to explain the classic, yeah, MA thing is, oh, what's your master's on? Yeah. What's your thesis on? <laughs> but, which I'm, no, normally I know it's a pain, but in this case, I, I'm, I'm very glad to, to explain it. <laughs> I, I studied the libertarian movement in the U.S. in the 1950s. Uh, I'm not myself a libertarian, although I... I sympathize with a lot of their views on war and civil liberties and, and other things. But uh, I thought at the time, when was this, maybe 20, 2012 or so, uh, that was when the you know the Tea Party movement mm-hmm. had gone up. You had Ron Paul, uh, who was uh, a libertarian congressman, uh, senator from Texas. He was, his profile was, was kind of rising. He actually ended up running for president that year. Very similar, interestingly, to, to, to how Bernie Sanders is being treated in the, in the media right now, where Ron Paul would do quite well and then in, in some of these uh, early state contests, and then the, the news media would sort of just, just pretend that he didn't exist and, and be like, you know, uh, oh, John, uh, John Huntsman, who came in like fourth. Oh, wow, you know, this is a good sign. What a great him. guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, Ron Paul, I, there's like a lot of things about Ron Paul's politics that I completely disagree with. Right. But there, there are certain things that I, I think he, he's been right on and actually courageous on that you can't say about a lot of US politicians, particularly foreign policy. But anyway, so while this sort of thing was happening, you know, there, there seemed to be kind of a libertarian moment. Uh, in hindsight, not so much. That was kind of a blip. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the time, I thought, okay, well, this could be interesting. Like, where, where did the movement come from? What are the, what are the animating ideas? So then I... Matthias has basically looked at this magazine in the uh, 1950s uh, called The Freeman, which was sort of the beginnings of, I guess, libertarian ideology in the United States, where you had going to be a very short Cliff Notes uh, <laughs> history of, of, of the US in the 20th century. But basically, you had the Depression, and you had this kind of new 
consensus, new political consensus around liberal ideas, around, you know, basically being a kind of more cohesive society where people are taken care of by the state, where the state was a lot more interventionist, a lot more involved in people's lives to make sure that, you know, they didn't starve to death or mm. die from preventable diseases and illnesses and so on and so forth. And and there was a, a, a rebellion against this by the... I mean, a lot of it was actually backed by the business community. And when I say business community, I mean, you know, big business. So, so some of the major industrialists in the U.S. Not to say that this was entirely astroturfed, as people say nowadays. So there, this is kind of the interesting thing. There, there was a grassroots movement. There, there were people who genuinely believed in these ideas. These ideas also happened to be beneficial to the wealthiest and most powerful people right. in, in society. And they... Yeah naturally bankrolled it. And so I looked at this magazine and kind of how the ideas that, that they came up with and how this ideology formed and everything. And, you know, I'm not going to bore you with too many details, but I, I, this the stuff I'm doing now kind of relates to that because the way I see it, basically U.S. politics, and I would say this is the case in, in just about every country's politics, but particularly in the U.S., it really has been a push and pull between sort of the, the forces of... of reaction and, and big business that have funded the, the kind of conservative movement in the US. Conservative movement slightly kind of a misnomer because the conservatives in the US are actually very radical in a, in a kind of more free market direction. And then sort of the a more kind of, you know, I guess kind of working class movement, which, which hasn't really, uh, it's kind of been dormant for a lot of the last decades because it's been, that, that, that conservative movement, that business-backed conservative movement has really been successful at kind of rolling back what the, the, the post-depression kind of welfare state that, that was instituted in the U.S. And also the, the union, the trade union movement in the U.S., which was very powerful in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and then has been steadily uh, weakened in the mind. I think now union membership in the U.S. is the lowest. It's, it's been certainly since, yeah, since the New Deal or so, maybe. I don't know if it's... Maybe ever, maybe ever. So, wow. so yeah, and, and the book about Joe Biden kind of relates to that because Joe Biden has kind of, is running for president, obviously, has really been at the forefront as a Democrat, kind of working with Republicans to kind of undo a lot of the, the progress that was made uh, in the US during the 20th century, during that liberal consensus. I'm doing, I'm doing a square, <laughs> square points. You can't, you can't see it. <laughs> right. Mm. So can you talk a bit more about this book then of... Mm. Yeah, I guess specifically what it's dealing with, and mm. is it aimed at being a history book? Does it have an argument around what you should, or is it mm. more just to discuss an idea? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. What, what are you trying to do with mm. this book? I mean, what have you done? It's, yeah, it's yeah. done now, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll freely admit that I, I having studied uh, Joe Biden's career before I read the book, I think he would be a disaster as, as, a, as a president and as a candidate. I mean, there's, a, there's big questions about whether he would actually win, and you know, as a, as a journalist, I mean, I'm, I want to, one, you know, express the truth mm. and, and everything, and I want to make people, want to inform people. I mean, I think if people are going to vote, they should be aware of, mm. you know, who they're voting for right. and what this person is. And so so that's that's part of it. So so the book is kind of, it's, it's a kind of a polemic, you know, it's, it is called the, the Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden. So I am making an argument. I'm, I'm trying to make an argument about why he would be unsuitable as a candidate and as a president. But it, it is also, and this is where my, my historical training comes in, it is also a genuine attempt to kind of understand Joe Biden. Right. Where do his politics come from? Why has he made the decisions, in my view, disastrous decisions that he has made? What has led him to do to, to, to do that? And what are the 
larger implications of his life and career? What do they tell us about, you know, whether it's American liberalism or the Democratic Party or, you know, if anyone reads a book, how Trump happened? Because, mm. you know, Trump's election wasn't, wasn't just, I think there's a lot of <laughs> reductive kind of analysis of, oh, well, you know, Americans, they're, they're very dumb and so they just voted for Trump because, you know, whatever, he's a, he's a reality TV star mm. and, you know, uh, Americans are all racist and misogynistic and all this stuff and so therefore they voted for him, which is not really true. There's mm. the part, part of it is, yes, there's definitely a, a lot of people with a lot of backwards views as there are in any country, but it's a much bigger story, you know, about how we got here, uh, which I can, I'm, I'm happy to elaborate mm. on if, uh, if you want. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I basically, I went into, and again, this is where my historical training comes in. I've read a lot about Joe Biden and he's been written about a lot. Obviously he was the front runner for most of this race, but no one has really dug into his early career mm. in life. You know, uh, I w when I went through the historical record initially, like newspapers and stuff, I went up to the 80s. And in the decade of the 70s, aside from his his opposition to busing, which I can explain if... Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I've got no, no context Well, this all. is good because because I've, I've shown Hope, a, lot of, a lot of Possibly Kiwis. nobody else has context exactly. as well, yeah. Exactly. Busing was a program that was instituted... Uh, basically, uh, there, was a, there was a Supreme Court decision in the 50s that... Well, it's said to have desegregated schools. It wasn't quite that simple, though. It was a very long process, but it was meant to desegregate education in the U.S. One of the remedies for that was busing, which was they, the governments, whether it was state governments or, or local, they would bus African-American kids from mostly African-American neighborhoods because of the, the legacies of yeah. slavery and Jim Crow and segregation. They would bus them into white schools, and, and they would also buy, bus white children into into you know, mostly black schools, to sort of try and, one, you get rid of some of the inequalities of, of uh, the education system in the US because black schools were often underfunded yeah. uh, because they were black. But also, you know, I get to, 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 I guess, promote some sort of racial harmony. And th there was a huge backlash against this. And, and you know, to be clear, it's, it's not as if there was a, a massive across-the-board consensus in favor of busing. Even polls at the time even show that not all African-Americans were totally sold on the idea, I think partly because of the rancor that it caused. But it actually was successful at, for a while of, uh, in, in alleviating school segregation in the US. And it was, the other thing <laughs> that people, I guess, have forgotten is that busing used to happen all the time. You know, sometimes white families would bus their kids further away so they could go to whites only or, or majority white schools. So the idea that sort of busing was this thing that, that, that you know, was so outrageous, you know, that, that it, it forced this kind of reaction is a little, it's not really true. There's actually a historian who's never forgotten now, Matthew something. Maybe I, I can always edit into the description box if you think okay. of it later. Yes, yeah. I, will, I will find it. And he, his, he wrote a book uh, a few years ago, maybe a year ago, I can't remember exactly when, but he, he basically, his argument was busing was the polite way for white people in suburban neighborhoods, so affluent affluent white Americans, to oppose desegregation. Because we often think of racism in the US as, oh, it's the South, which is actually not true. Uh, there was a lot of racism in the North as well, a different type of racism, not as, it wasn't the same kind of violent racism, although there was violence as well, don't get me wrong. But it was sort of a more kind of, oh, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll just put African Americans as far away from us as possible. Anyway, how does this relate to Joe Biden? Joe Biden in the 70s opposed busing. Mm -hmm. And this was sort of one of the things that everyone knew about him. And as 
engendered a lot of controversy because, I mean, in the process, I mean, he said a lot of things. If you, if you go back and read some of the quotes he said about, you know, busing and racial integration, you know, it makes for kind of queasy reading today. It doesn't really fit that well. But that's all we, all we knew about him. And I wanted to look at, well, what else, what else did he do? I mean, you know, he was a senator since 1972, so he, there must be something more to his career. And so I, in the book, I kind of trace his evolution, and the busing thing is part of it. He was actually not anti-busing initially. He was kind of ambivalent because he, Delaware, the state that he was in, it was a bit of a, it was a Republican state. It was a slave, former slave state. So I think he sort of like, he would, he would make noises where he would kind of say, well, busing, it's a stupid idea. But actually he would always vote for busing. Right. And then at one point it changed. And actually, and, and he started to, to, to make himself one of the leading anti-busing politicians because, and, and I argue in the book, it's because of his re-election in 1978. Right. Because uh, he realized there, there, he got a challenge from the right. Uh, there was there was an there was a big furor in Delaware over busing, where uh, the Supreme Court basically ordered its biggest city to be uh, desegregated through busing. A lot of white suburbanites, which is sort of Joe Biden's poor kind of constituency, um, and there's reasons for that as well. They a lot of anger about that. He got challenged by anti-busing people, basically for being too pro-busing, and so he switches. And it's not the only thing he switched in, uh, switched on. He also, interestingly, very different to what his public persona is now and what he's running on now. But initially, he was uh, he, he ran a very kind of economic populist campaign. You know, he railed against millionaires who don't pay taxes and billion billion dollar corporations that are kind of getting away with murder. He, he wanted to increase social security benefits for people, so you know, sort of old age pension for people. He wanted to increase how much it was. He wanted to have a, a to set up an independent consumer protection agency. He ran on all this stuff in, in 1973, and he, and he gets a, this uh, surprise win um, against this long-time uh, Republican um, politician who was beloved by pretty much everyone and actually had a really good civil rights record. And he ends up beating him. And then by 1978, he's suddenly not just railing against busing, but he's railing against government spending. He's, he's talking about we need to rein in, we need to make the government smaller. The government should only be responsible for certain things like taking care of drugs uh, in the sense of, you know, uh, sort of policing, policing drug use and, and drug dealing and that kind of thing. And, and you know, he's talking about, you know, he wants to, he wants to kind of end government programs that are too expensive and yada yada. And this kind of, that becomes the rest of his career. His career, the rest of his career is sort of doing a kind of really allying with Republicans, particularly the new crop of, of kind of very right-wing Republicans that, cut, that come about in the 80s and 90s who want to start really dismantling the, the New Deal state, the kind of, that, that sort of uh, welfare state that had been built up after the Depression. And so, yeah, part of it was, so what, what made him change, you know, that, as, as Paul Tyone, one of my teachers here, would say history, good history comes from good questions. So, yeah, why did he change? What, what, what made him, you know, um, go from a kind of liberal politician to a kind of a more conservative Democrat? Mm -hmm. And also, there's other questions about why, why is, why does the middle class loom so large in Biden's politics. Mm. Why, why is it such a, a huge deal for him? Why is that the core constituency? Even though he he has always gotten a lot of black and, and blue collar support among voters, uh, his kind of the, the thing he always focuses on is, is just the middle class and kind of means the suburban white middle class. Why is that? And so yeah, the book is kind of partly a, an attempt to answer those questions. Right. Yeah. And so is this intended for? 
I guess, education leading up to this election that's happening? Is it October this year, something like October? Well, or yeah, yeah. It'll be November, the November, general election. Right, yeah. But, I'm, I mean, I really wrote this. I had to write this in an insanely short amount of time. I had, to, I had to research and write it basically in six months. Wow. Yes, it was... That's very short. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends. Yeah. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't have a, a nervous breakdown, but I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked considering that it's taken me 12 months to write 40,000 words. Well, I, I was once in your position too, and I do not understand how I managed to do this in this uh, amount of time, but thankfully Jacobin was pay, paid me to write it because they thought this was a project worth pursuing. Cool. Basically, I had to write it in this short amount of time because I... I don't know how much you know about the book publishing world. I did not know anything about it. I was actually it. one of my questions for you because oh. we've had some graduate conferences and some of the questions that have come up is how to actually publish because I think it's something people don't talk about. It's I guess it's something that's expected after you do your PhD, you turn it into a book. But mm. the ins and outs of that kind of thing and the fact that you've got a master's and you're publishing a book, like <laughs> I i don't know anyone that's done that and possibly is the, the journalism side of it has given you some more mm. opportunities. But it was just this publishing side I was really interested to talk to you about. Right, right. Yeah, well... Uh, I'll, I'll give you a kind of brief rundown. I mean, basically, I had to write the book for one to 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 hit during the primaries because this is when voting is. And mm. you know, if you if you want to inform people before they vote, they want you want them to, you need to give them time to read. I guess exactly. Yeah. And I didn't realize this. I, I naively just thought you write a book and then it just comes out. Yeah. But actually, it turns out there's like many months in between when it comes out when you finish writing. Where mm. I don't know what's happening. Some. In, it, I don't know, the book is in some mysterious back room. <laughs> I don't know, somebody, there's probably a cauldron and somebody's stirring <laughs> something and all manner of things are going on and then yeah. the book comes out. I, I don't know. Magic. Yeah, exactly. It's here. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, so there's, so I had to write it, finish it by about November so it could be ready to come out by January, February. Wow. Um, and even then it's going to come out, I mean, it, it, people can order it from the Jacobin website, but it'll only come out in stores by the end of February. Which right. I would have liked to uh, for it to have been earlier, but you know, uh, this is actually still pretty good. I'm I'm happy. How did I end up publishing it? I initially a friend of mine because I had written like a series on Joe Biden for for Jacobin, the mm -hmm. magazine that I work for, because uh, he had such a long career. I ended up doing kind of like a, a, a five or six different pieces. So yeah. you know, Joe Biden on and busing, Joe Biden and and kind of war and foreign policy and mm. civil liberties, Joe Biden and kind of uh, his economic policies, Joe Biden and his anti-abortion record, very, very bad, <laughs> if anyone reads that, a very long, bad anti-abortion record, and I think something else, I can't remember, and those did pretty well, and I was hanging out with a friend in, in Chicago, and he said, oh, you should write a book, because he's, he's going to be the front runner when he mm. finally enters the race. And I was kind of like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. And they put me in touch with the publisher. I had to write a outline, which mm. entailed a lot of unpaid work with me, yeah. researching, doing extra research to try and fill in, you know, what every chapter is going to yeah. look like. It, it was looking good. And then Joe Biden entered the race and, and very quickly the scandal around his kind of non-consensual kind of touching of girls and women happened. I don't know. I'm not sure. I know bits and pieces, but I don't know tons about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of these... He's not been accused of, of uh, assaulting anyone, but it's just... It was just kind of... It's just very weird behaviour, yeah. I think, to a lot of people. Just yeah. the kind of... the the way he would, like, caress yep. people's hair and massage them and stuff. And, and I think the publisher got a little spooked. 
Right. Um, because they were like, okay, well, something something is going to come, something worse than this is going to come out about this guy, and then it's not going to be worth it. Yeah. Uh, so then my editor Jacobin was like, well, listen, we I'll I'll pay you. Just write the book because I I, I think he's going to end up being. The, the nominee if not the president so we, we should have a book about mm. it so then I just wrote it over yeah six months and then I eventually there was kind of an arrangement set up where we got a publisher on it uh, even though Jacobin founded the book and then it's going through that publisher Verso Books and it's being distributed through Penguin Random House which is good so hopefully a lot of people will mm. read it or some people will so yeah that's sort of how the process went it's not a typical way that you would publish a book in the sense of usually you get like an advance mm. I was I was being paid to write it all the way through which right. is a lifesaver and yeah. I don't know how else I could have done it given the time constraints but yeah I guess that gives you a little window into some of the mm. some of the things that, that go around it you know I mean part of it also was I really had to, to try and write the book so it wasn't just about oh this is about Joe Biden in the primary I had to make it about something bigger so the similar you know my, my historical training again comes into it where I ended up kind of making uh, so okay actually this is this is great Jennifer Frost who yeah. you've had in the program one of my, my my MA supervisor one of my teachers here as well who really her and Paul really kind of instilled in, in me and a lot of people passion for, yeah. for uh, American history and one of the things that I learned in, in uh, their honors course was about the the idea of doing a biography that that's biography of someone but it's actually about something bigger so you're kind right. of seeing through through the person to kind of look at the wider wider trends mm. and that's what Jennifer's book on Hina Hopper is very much about if people should read it and buy it it's, it's very yeah. good and and that's what I tried to do with Biden so so that even if even I, I mean it looks like he's going to collapse electorally at the moment right. but I, I hope the book will have a longer shelf life because what it's really about is not just about Biden but about how the approach and the changes in the Democratic Party over the last you know three four decades mm. have basically led to the rise of Trump right um, and 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 all manner. I mean, not just that. All manner of other terrible things, and, and, and you know, uh, why it should be reversed. So that's mm. yeah. Has anything changed? So so you wrote this book. Obviously, mm. you wrote it last year. Mm. Has anything changed since you wrote it that you wish you had have incorporated or? Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I I will see articles every now and then that have that come out with something else they found that I didn't. And I, you know, I kick myself and I'm like. Ah. I guess there's only so much that you can do yeah. or can include. And, no, yeah. totally. but you know, it's like it's like oh, I definitely would have had that. Yeah. Found it, but I just didn't find it. But you know, I mean, that's that's journalism for you. For the most part, I'm pretty happy with it. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that hasn't been reported yeah. and hasn't really been talked about by anyone, and I think people will get a lot of value out of it. But yeah, of course, of course, there's there's definitely stuff that I'm just like mm. tearing my hair out. <laughs> I guess it's the nature of it. Eh? There's. I've changed the structure of my masters so many times. Oh, yeah. What I've ended up on, I'm like, this is great, but there's stuff that I've written about at the beginning of the year. I was like, oh, I yeah. can't really include that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm sure. I mean, from my memory memories of, of when I did my masters, there's always the kind of fear that at some point you'll you'll be doing your masters, you've done all this archival research, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff, and then like you'll just see an, another person's thesis pop up that's exactly yeah. the same as yours yeah. and like draws in the exact same sources makes the same or similar argument and then and then it's nightmare like what do you do so yeah. you know I, yeah I, I the think nature you probably of feel academia like yeah. <laughs> yeah so what, what are your plans I guess for the future are you 
mm. staying in, in journalism, doing the same thing? Do you want to, have you enjoyed this book process? Do you want to keep writing books or do you prefer more of the, the article side of it? I, I definitely prefer the book side of things. I do not want to do a book like this where I've had to like just do an insane six month, yeah. you know, <laughs> The process. ultimate cram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was not fun. No. Uh, you know, if I could space out over like, I don't know, a year or two mm. at, at the very least, that would be nice. I think I... Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really write breaking news. Mm. I do my specialty, and again, this is this is comes from my work uh, in the history department here. Mm. I tend to do stuff where I, I research a lot of things. I really, I, if I want to argue something, I want to be sure that I know what I'm talking about, yeah. and that I have that I can maybe find something that no one else has found that will be interesting to add to the conversation. And also, primary sources. You know, mm. always go back to. The original. That's actually a very helpful thing that I think a lot of journalists don't don't know, and we can maybe we can talk about that later. But there's a lot of you know in the, in the age of kind of like fake news and disinformation, mm. there's a lot of mainstream news that I see that is completely wrong, and it's partly because people just sort of will reiterate a thing that they heard from someone that yeah. they read from someone that they read from someone, and instead of going to the to the actual source. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I would like to do more books. I will I will continue writing for, for Jacobin and, and other outlets. I, I Ideally, I haven't been able to do a lot of uh, New Zealand stuff over the last year because of how crazy it is, but mm. um, you know, the book and everything. But hopefully I will have more time to focus on that a little bit. Mm. You know, I don't know 10 years from now no, what I'll be doing, but that's yeah. sort of, yeah. I, I, I At the moment, I'm kind of doing a, this long-form series on... Um, you know, I did Biden, and now I'm looking at Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Another thing, no one, no one's really looked that much into his time as mayor. Mm. You know, we, we've heard about it. He, he talks about it. People mention it, and and there's been a bit of writing, but there hasn't really been like a very in-depth kind of look at what he, what mm-hmm. he did as mayor and, and what it was like. So I'm sort of, I hopefully once once I have more time, I'll be able to focus on that a little more mm. full time. And and I don't know, maybe perhaps that'll be my next book. I'm not, mm. I'm not really sure. I think it's so helpful though because. For people like me, for example, where I know nothing about policy. Okay, no, I, I know the I know the bare minimum, and I guess I do know the general policies that people believe in. But I remember with the last election, leading into um, three three four years ago. Wow, I'm useless with time. Three or four years ago, the last mm. election, I literally was scouring the internet just trying to find what does Labour believe in, what does National <laughs> believe in, and actually just trying to figure out exactly what. Because I don't know much. It's not something that's while import is important and I try and stay up to date with it, it's mm. it's not the forefront of my mind because, yeah. yeah, my brain doesn't work that way and I find it hard to understand. But anyway, I think something like that is, is so helpful, though, and I know that, I don't know, if I was a US citizen and could vote or whatever, mm. it would be almost invaluable because a person isn't just what they're claiming to be in that moment. Mm-hmm. It, it's built up over time, and I guess especially how you're talking about Joe Biden just almost flipping in yeah. the way that he... He, um, the things that he believes in, that's something that has defined who he was and what he now believes in. And so it's mm. helpful to have that full picture. Mm. So, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's such an incredible resource to have. Mm. And, yeah, it's – I don't know how to end this, but it's 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 such a it's, – it's a very interesting project. Yeah. And I feel like it's something that would be very useful, especially in this time. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, voters don't always or even often vote on a kind of – policy basis or yeah. like a, on ideology a lot of voters kind of base their vote on a whole heap of factors some right. of which are very kind of strange to us maybe but I think there are a lot of people who, who, 
whose minds can be shifted by, you know, if, if they didn't know something about a person. I mean, uh, in 2017, I wrote a, a very long piece about Bill English in the 90s, how he sort of, uh, his involvement in some of the health sector reforms in New Zealand that were long-term really quite disastrous right. uh, that I, I don't think anyone really covered. But, and, and again, I don't know how much reach the thing I wrote got, but I, maybe it, it helped to change some minds, maybe right. it informed some people, I don't know. Mm. So, yeah, and I mean, I think it, it's, it, politics ideally should be based on, you know, real tangible things. And like mm. you say, it's one thing for someone to say that they're for something or that they are something. It's a whole other thing to actually look at their career and go, okay, well, what, when, when the going was tough, where did you stand? You know, when, when the political winds were blowing in a different direction, what were you saying at the time? And, you know, I mean, I, mean, I could go on about this for hours, but <laughs> there, there's many candidates in the race, uh, in this race in the U.S., that, that have been sounding very different notes to what they were doing, you know, maybe right. uh, even, even as early as, like, five, five to ten years ago. So. Is it because of pressure, do you think? Or what mm. what causes people to do that, that well, you found, at least through your study of Joe Biden? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, not just Joe Biden, I would say that, yeah. Uh, do you know Kamala Harris? I know the name, but okay. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 not at all. Uh, she was a California senator who was running. Uh, initially, people thought she was going to be a very formidable challenger or, mm. or candidate, and she kind of fizzled out and ended the campaign before the voting even started because I think she yeah she was worried that I think if she had a poor showing in her state that would kind of (laughs) end her political career but basically she was hampered by the fact that she she was running as kind of a a progressive firebrand you know she was for single payer healthcare Medicare for all you know the the Mm. thing that Sanders is is championing she kind of presented herself as a kind of uh, she's not tough on crime she's smart on crime so instead of going towards these more punitive criminal justice policies that end up like locking people up costing tons of money and destroying yeah. lives and communities she you know she was kind of looking saying you know we should look for a different approach however you look at her earlier career the politics that she espoused were completely different to this she was very much a tough on crime person she actually was kind of more punitive than even her republican opponent in one race on on yeah. the three strikes policy which uh, i don't know if your listeners would know but basically the idea that if you if you commit um three violent crimes or at least commit one violent crime and uh, several different crimes after that you go to jail for for life you know it's three strikes you're out yeah. which we imported it's horrible it gone horribly in the US and then in New Zealand we were like oh yeah let's let's bring let's that here let's do the same yeah yeah but basically you know I think I think what it was was the, the politics around criminal justice were very different in the 90s and the 2000s and and I think also the pol- just liberal politics in general if you look at you know what Obama was running on or a whole bunch of people were running on in 2008 and 2012 and what they were espousing compared to now because the political winds have, have markedly changed and so people go politicians go oh well I can I can now advocate for this or oh this is popular so I won't get any blowback if I if I support this it's very rare I mean you know Bernie Sanders is one of those rare politicians that that has been relatively consistent he has been comp- completely consistent he's definitely you know, changed uh, on criminal justice and a few other things, but he's been relatively consistent. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, these are people who I think looked at at the way that the political landscape was, and they said, "Well, I, I you know, I, I can't challenge us too much. I can't push this too much. I have to right. sort of work within this." And in the process, well, in in the process, they they really ended up, um, you know, supporting some pretty terrible things. Mm. You know, I think I think ultimately politicians 
individual politicians are important, but it's about the kind of what's undergirding them, what's pushing them, what what is the politician will always choose the path of least resistance, whatever that happens to be. And if they if there's no if the only pressure they're getting is from sort of more conservative forces, they'll go in that direction. But if there is a a larger pressure from you know you know the grassroots you know with you know a progressive kind of grassroots pressure, they will go in that direction. Right. And there's a famous quote that is maybe not true, but I think it's a, a nonetheless even if it's an apocryphal story, I think it kind of really illustrates this well. Where Franklin Roosevelt, who was one of the greatest presidents in, in U.S. history, he was the one who implemented the New Deal and really shifted things after the Depression. You know, he supposedly had met with union leaders and, and sort of um, civil rights activists and the like in his office, and you know, they told him all these things that they were like, you know, we think you should do this, do this, do this. And he said to them, supposedly, I, I agree with everything you've said. Now make me do it. So the idea is that you have to, you know, it's it's yeah. not just enough to have an individual politician. You have to have a larger, idea. yeah, exactly. And actually, and I, and I, that is very much a realization I had that the director came out of studying history here with with Jennifer and Paul right. and and a whole bunch of, of other really great teachers here. So which really shaped and influenced my thinking about this. And and and, and even with the Alexanders, you know, part of the reason he had the success he did, if you look at him in the eighties in Vermont because Vermont had this much wider, broader, kind of progressive movement. You had a lot mm. of these the people who were hippies and counterculture types who had moved to Vermont in the 60s and 70s that transformed the state. Mm. Very much a rural, conservative state before then, and suddenly it became this kind of like hub of hippiedom. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's a cool word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, think, I think that's part of it. I think it's, yeah. you have to, all of us have to, have to pressure people in power to, to do mm. what we want them to do. If you don't mind me asking, mm. how do you feel like this US election is going to go based mm. on the research that you've done and, and the, all this background knowledge that you have? And I mean, you were saying it, basically the way that the Democratic Party had functioned led to potentially why Trump mm. was elected. How do you feel like it's going to happen this time around, considering Trump's mm. time in office and everything that he's done? Do you feel like, yeah, I guess, how do you feel like this next election could potentially go? Well, okay, I, I don't want to make predictions because prognosticators are often wrong, hilariously, disastrously <laughs> wrong. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to make predictions, but I will tell you how I, how I feel and yeah. how, what I sort of, like, think could happen. Mm. Um, I think there's a couple things. I think it depends on who the Democrats nominate. Right. I think if it was someone like Biden or even Pete Buttigieg, who is now kind of climbing into polls, or someone like uh, Mike Bloomberg, who's kind of basically bought his way into the election, <laughs> spending you know over a quarter of a billion dollars on TV ads as polling has shot up. If they nominate someone like that, someone who's more kind of, you know, the business as usual, centrist establishment, exactly the kind of person that Hillary Clinton was, ended up losing to Trump because she was vulnerable in a lot of these things that Trump ended up kind of scrambling the politics on, trade deals, mm-hmm. foreign policy, that kind of thing. I think if they go for them, Trump could very well win. Trump Trump inherited a, an economy that was on the upswing. And so actually right now he has the highest economic approval rating since uh, in, in like 20 years or something. Wow. Um, yes, because the economy is going well. It's not going perfectly. Behind the stats, there's a lot of less convenient facts about... As you know, always. Exactly, yeah. yeah. People are employed, but... but are they employed full time? Yeah. Are they making enough to, to live? A lot of people still aren't. A lot of people are still still hurting, but he does have a very good economic approval rating. 
impeachment, I don't want to go into that too much, but I think the way it was done was a, a strategic error, focusing on the Biden stuff instead of Trump's many other, other crimes, his corruption, his, his kidnapping of children, his, uh, the concentration camps uh, of, of immigrants. And since impeachment, his, his approval rating has, has gone up um, to the highest it's, it's ever been. So he is looking like he'll be a very formidable opponent. He also has the backing of, uh, of many, many powerful corporate forces that, you know, for for every sort of all the all the noise that we hear about, oh, you know, everyone is really deeply disappointed with with some of the you know stuff like the Muslim ban and the concentration camps and all that. Uh, a lot of people are doing pretty well, and you know, a lot of very very rich people are doing very well under his economy because mm-hmm. he's he, the the main thing he achieved when he controlled Congress was he he passed a huge tax cut for the very 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 richest, and so they'll be just fine. Trump and they are they are backing him. Uh, he's getting a lot of donations. And he's also getting a lot of grassroots donations. There's a lot of people who also just believe in him. They they think right. that his vision is the right the right vision. I I think that you know I mean I'm I'm going to sound like like a homer I think is the is the <laughs> word in the U.S. But I do think that Sanders is probably the has the best chance of beating him if they nominate him. Right now it looks like he it looks very good that he will win a nomination. Right. A lot of people sort of say oh well, Sanders is a socialist. Trump will make hay of that. If you actually look at Sanders' political career, which no one. Again, the value of history. <laughs> yeah. No one ever actually looks at the looks at the past, studies studies the past. If you look at his political career, despite being a self-professed socialist, taking many fairly radical views on on, on issues, Sanders actually has has always had a, a, a ability to win over Republicans and conservatives, which you wouldn't expect. Yeah. But people see him as honest. They yeah. say, "Well, I don't I don't agree with everything he says, but He's I honest. trust him." Yeah. yeah. And and they and I also. Because of the fact that he centers workers' rights and 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 very much the American worker in his politics, that's something that, that even Republicans can get behind. You know, mm. they might say, "Well, okay, I don't agree with his stance on immigration, but I think he's a real fighter." And I think, I, you know, you're already seeing some of the attacks that Sanders is going to make against Trump. He sort of today I saw, you know, he said, "Well, well, Trump is a socialist. He's just he's a socialist for the rich. He's a he's mm. a he wants the gains to to go to the rich." Uh, to the to the richest people, whereas I want to make the working class, the working people of America, kind of be centered. So I think that could be a potent message. Again, whether Sanders would actually win against Trump is, is another another yeah. question. But I think he has the the least vulnerabilities. If you looked at why Hillary Clinton lost, you know, because she was perceived as kind of a, a tool of corporate America and of mm. the rich, um, of course, completely hypocritical because that's exactly what Trump is. Yeah. But Sanders does not have that vulnerability. He has, right. Uh, He's entirely self-funded. Well, not self-funded. Sorry, he's entirely grassroots-funded. He has a very, very long record of, of not just pursuing kind of progressive policies, you know, like being for uh, marriage equality and, and that kind of thing, but also very much that kind of that economic populism that centers the working man, the exact kind of economic populism that Trump ran on. Mm. What happens after that? Who knows? I mean, I you know, in an ideal world, it would kind of lead to a political realignment that we saw similar to the New Deal, where. Trump sort of did this a little bit as well. Trump Trump did a bit of a political realignment as well, where a lot of he, he didn't run as a typical Republican. He ran as a kind of he, he said I'm gonna protect Medicare and Social Security, which are the, the, the really big entitlement programs, mm. the, the, the sort of crown jewels of the New Deal era. He said I'm gonna protect them. He said, you know, I hate these trade deals. He said, you know, I, I'm not gonna I don't wanna go to war. Again, very hypocritical. However, he will be going into this election against his 
best efforts because mm. he's 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 sort of accidentally going to go into this election as the first president since Jimmy Carter to not start a new war in the US which is pretty alarming because there, there is actually a very large anti-war feeling in the US a lot of weariness yeah. uh, over the, the kind of disasters of the, of the past few years I mean don't get me wrong Trump has increased US military presence around the world and and re-stepped up involvement where the US already is, but he has to start a new war. And against someone like Joe Biden, that record is is very easy to win on because Joe Biden's, for example, supported many, many wars. He was one of the architects of the Iraq war, which right. no one remembers. So so we'll see. Well I that's sort of my, my feeling is probably Sanders will will win the nomination right. at this rate. And I think if he wins he probably will win against Trump. But I mean, that's going to be a whole... Then, then it's a whole battle after that. Yeah. Because it's going to be a, uh, the same thing that they did up against Obama. Republicans sort of launched this campaign of obstruction to, mm-hmm. to basically stop him from doing anything. They're going to launch again, uh, the same thing against Sanders. The difference is, if, if you ever end up reading my piece on, on Sanders, my, my series on Sanders for Jacobin, Sanders has, a, as mayor, faced similar kind of obstructionist tactics and, and ultimately overcame them, rallied people and ended up kind of transforming the city of Burlington from this kind of ossified, conservative, ruled city to uh, uh, one of the more one of the most progressive cities in, in the in the country. We'll have to see if he can do that on a national level. But I'm also getting ahead of myself because it's literally just a second primary now. <laughs> you know, but this is when I gain this stuff out of my head. This is this is how I feel it could happen. Yeah. We will see. There, there could be many. Anything variables. could happen realistically. Yes. Yes. You can't really predict. He, he could very well be voted. Even if he won, he could be voted in president and also have a, a you know, I could see a, a thing where the House goes back to the Republicans mm. and Sanders has like a Republican Congress, and the, you yeah. know, and and that that would be a, a whole challenge on its own. Mm. So there you go. That's there's my amateur prognostication. <laughs> Please don't hold me to that. This is no, just sort it's, of. No, it's it's just fascinating. It's I possible. think putting putting things in context and. I do think while we can't vote in New Zealand, whatever happens in America, it does affect us and it does affect the rest of the world. And Mm -hmm. so it's helpful to know what's happening, I guess. And it is very limited, the information that we get. I mean, recently, for example, I don't know how credible everything is, but I've just been keeping up with Stephen Colbert and and the way that he's talking about what Trump's been doing. And... I mean, there's always Twitter and there's always that kind of stuff, but it's never the full picture, I guess. Yeah. And so it's, it's. I mean, it's helpful. It's helpful to have these these kind of resources and, yeah, and, and yeah. to know and just be informed. Yeah. Well, yeah. and especially with the US, I mean, you know, we have, a, we have a ticking clock with climate change. We really do, which is which is very scary. But I think someone like Sanders, who has a career, a career-long, really, commitment to, to solving this. I mean, mm-hmm. he's talked about this since the 80s. And if you actually look at his... Record, he's been routinely ranked as one of the, the top people in the U.S. Congress on the environment and on climate, as a, as a climate leader. I, I don't think climate would be as much of an issue in this primary, honestly, if he wasn't running. Mm. He, he, in 2015 and 2016, he was talking about it in, in, in every sort of chance he got, even when sort of Democrats were like, oh, this is not, not a popular issue, don't, don't mention this. So I think that's another thing why we, we are invested in what happens in the U.S., because yeah. ultimately we will need... It's not just the U.S. We'll, we'll need every major country, India, China, and everything. But right now, if you look at those countries, I mean, China is turning into a... swiftly into a dictatorship. They're kind of building coal plants all over the world. India is under the rule of a, of a fascist 
a, a, you know neo-fascist, whatever you want to say. But yeah, that's that's plain and what it is. And it's sort of it, it's India's response to ecological crises has been to oh well we'll we'll just annex Kashmir. You know that's so um, having having a president in the United States who is actually committed to 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 transforming you know not just its energy system but rallying the world around not not around bickering and fighting over territory but around actually coming together and solving this crisis is very crucial for us in New Zealand and, and for billions and billions of people around the world mm. well thank you so much for <laughs> this discussion is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to comment on or I guess anything you, you feel like we haven't touched on that you would like to? Uh, I, you know, I never got to write acknowledgements for my book. Right. And I, I mean, I, I called, you know, mentioned them a couple of times, but I really do want to thank Jennifer and Paul and, mm. and the entire history department, not just them, because they are, for my career and, and for what I've been able to do uh, mm. in my life, they, they were very, very key, really, and not just instilling in me the process of, of how to be a historian, but also just the the way that you look at the world, the way yeah. that historians, you know, we understand that things aren't static, that, that history is always changing, the world is always changing, that things today are not like things were 30 years ago and they were not like things were 30 years before that and 100 years before that and 100 mm. years before that. And so, I re yeah, I, I owe a lot to this department and, and this university and, and the great people that, that taught me over the years. So I, I do want to say that. That's amazing. And it, it, it's really cool to to see what people have done from this because I, I feel like outside of the history department like I've found being here so incredible and the people the lecturers and the support system here is so in incredible but outside of the history department I feel like a lot of people are like oh you know them history people them art students who <laughs> I actually it was terrible I was at work I was doing some part time work somewhere, somewhere. I doubt that they'll mm. listen to this <laughs> I was doing some part-time work somewhere mm. and I just overheard some people in, in the lunchroom talking mm. about how they felt like the government was wasting money sending people to do arts degrees when they should they should do first year and second year free for like engineering and maths and science students mm. but why are we wasting time on the arts and I was sitting there like oh okay that's that's just great thanks uh. like are you serious? Like, that covers so much from... I mean, history is so important, and a lot mm. of people don't understand the importance of, of mm. history and understanding where people have come from and where societies have come from mm. and the way that... Even the way that New Zealand history has changed so much, and people mm. don't know anything about the place where they live or the the, mm. the history of, of the area that surrounds them and stuff like that. And, but then arts is more than history. It's mm. it's it covers a lot, and so it was a very bold statement that I was like, "Wow, okay, I, I would very much like to say something to you, but I'll just let you eat your lunch for the evening." <laughs> right. Just just keep that simmering rage <laughs> yeah. inside. I mean, look, engineers are important, scientists are important, Absolutely. all these things are important. Not everyone has to be an engineer. Yeah. And not, I'm, you know, not everyone has to do arts. No, mm. I mean, I, I think people should have a historical understanding. They should understand history, uh, you know, in an ideal world. Doesn't mean they have to go, go and off. Everyone just goes off and be a historian. Mm. Everyone has different skills, a different way of thinking, a different way they they look at the world. And I think I know many people, you know, well beyond me, who have done whether it's history degrees or 
or any other sort of arts degrees who have gone on to do really amazing things. Sometimes related to what they study, sometimes not. But the, the skills and knowledge that you gain by doing this stuff is really, really crucial. Mm. Not just for your career, but beyond. For you know, really understanding the world yeah. and, uh, and understanding a new way of thinking and, mm. and looking at the world. So, mm. yeah. Thank you so much for taking out the time to do this. And I really appreciate it, especially um, for the people who might not be able to get to your talk. I don't know how many people are coming. I've seen it. it's been well advertised and everything, so okay. it will definitely be an interesting one. But for the people that couldn't make it, it's it's been awesome to be able to talk about this mm. on here. And um, even if people do get to your talk and want to know a bit more about you, I don't know how much time you've got to actually talk about yourself. I don't know if it's just about the book or whatever. But yeah, I'll just be on the book. Yeah. Probably, yeah. It's it's just been such an amazing opportunity to be able to talk to you about this and talk about the different opportunities that come out of a history degree and mm. that you don't just have to become the standard teacher that everyone thinks that <laughs> historians become so yeah thank you so much and to everyone who's listening I, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode thank you so much for coming back from last year I know we took quite a long break over summer but we've got some exciting new things coming out from continuing on with the women in computer science series and, and we've got some fascinating new topics that will definitely be playing into some big current events that will be happening this year so definitely stay tuned you can listen to the podcast on Spotify or on the website. I know a lot of people listen to it on the website, but we are also on Spotify and iTunes. And if you want to read more, if you prefer to read, if that's something that you like, we do do very informal, very short pieces on our blog posts. So if you want to read some more about what we're doing, definitely go and head over to our website. And yeah, we'll look forward to hearing from you guys later. Thank you. And buy the book. By the book, sorry, my apologies. Wow, <laughs> useless. That was like the one thing I had to no, do. No, 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 it's my book. job. It's my job to plug, you know, to, <laughs> to shamelessly book. hawk my wares. No, no, no. I'll put it in the description box. I'll, I'll okay. put all of the information that we've talked about today. If there's any links or the, even the articles that you wrote on mm. that you've mentioned, I'll, I'll put it in the description box as well. So definitely Great. make sure to go check that out. Go and have a read. Go and support your fellow alumnus, is that the word? Yeah. Alumnus, somebody from Auckland University who is in the exact same position as you possibly are now. So, yeah, definitely buy the book. Re uh, go and look at the description box. All of the links will be in there. <laughs> Thank you.